Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn in your Bibles. Luke chapter 12, we'll pick up in verse 22 in a study that I've entitled The Woes of a Worry Wart. And I want to take a moment to pray. Church, can I just tell you, I'm concerned for our country. I'm worried. I really am concerned. And I think this study is going to be helpful for all of us. I can tell you that the wrath of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible says. Hatred does not beget love, no matter what kind it is. Violence is never the answer. And I'm concerned that we're going to self-destruct. And I want to just beseech you to pray. And I can't tell you how to pray. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I can tell you that if we don't learn to love one another as Christ has loved us, that we're in trouble. We've watched death after death. We've watched injustice. We've stood by and said nothing when we should say something, and we've said something when we probably should have said nothing. But it's time for the church to rise up. Not with a a voice of carnality, with the voice of the Spirit. We need love to overwhelm this country right now. No matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what political spectrum you happen to be on, if we are not unified, then we will self-destruct. If we don't see the value in each other, then we will devalue each other. And so I want to take a moment to pray. And as you feel led in your spirit, you pray for what matters to you. But I would ask that you pray in the spirit. That you recognize that the path that we're on is deadly. The deception of the enemy is great. And we need to seek the Lord of heaven to cure what ails this country before it's too late. Would you pray with me? Father, I I confess to you I don't know how to pray. So I'm going to pray for my nephew, Brad, and my nephew, Tom, and my nephew, Addison, because they're all Sheriff's officers. 
And I don't want them to die, Lord. I'm going to pray for the family of Brianna Taylor. And Jacob Blake. And George Floyd. God, what we're doing is wrong. And we need your spirit to fall afresh upon us. Lord, I repent. Lord, change me. Change us as a church. Lord, I want to pray for those two sheriff's officers that are fighting for their lives right now. And I want to pray for the man that shot him. God, he needs you. We need you. And we're crying out to the only one that can help, Lord. So we ask you to move, to work in us, to will and to do your good pleasure. Lord, protect us from ourselves. Cause us to see the value in every human life. And work diligently to protect it so that your spirit can fall afresh upon us. Lord, we give you this time. And Lord, I I confess my own worry to you this morning as I teach from your word. Lord, so help us in our time of need, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize. Maybe if a few more pastors are crying. Maybe if a few more people fall on their face before God. The Lord will relent of the disaster that's coming. Before it's too late. This passage that we're in, beginning in verse 22, is perhaps one of those ones that every Christian ought to have highlighted. Because I think most of us are prone to worry. And while concern about many things is not inherently wrong. When our worry replaces our faith, we're in trouble. And while my emotions are a bit raw this morning, I have great faith that the king has a plan. And that he is mighty to save. And he is our fortress and our strong tower. Amen. Jesus now speaks to his disciples once again. And he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. The substance of it, 
what you will eat, nor about the body or what you will put on, for life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have a storehouse or a barn, yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if then God so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the earth seek after. And your Father knows these things. But seek the kingdom of God. And these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. For a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus addresses the issue of worry. And I want to first state that it's not inherently wrong. It's not inherently wrong to concern yourself with things that matter. My heart is pierced with things that matter. The question is, does that concern turn into a lack of faith on my part? Do I then go from trusting God to not trusting God? From God being the answer to God not being considered in the equation? And church, one of the reasons that my heart is pierced right now is I see the church turning to the world. Instead of standing in faith and standing on the word and standing for Christ and worshiping God, we've turned our attention to godless things. Our hope will never be in social change. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen? 
Social change will only come when you change hearts. You cannot change the outside and then change the inside with the outside change. It does not work that way. It didn't work that way in your own salvation experience, and it will not work as a country either. Until we change the heart of men, until we get to the real issue, which is men are deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? The heart of man is inclined towards the things that are not pleasing to God. Until we can get to the heart of man, we will not be able to change the conditions of man. And so we need to make sure we're focused the right way. I have had some very troubling conversations with fellow pastors of late. And they have railed me up one side and down the other because I'm not telling you how to vote. They have laid into me like there's no tomorrow because I'm not supporting this cause or that cause. Let me be clear to you, I support the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the one I support. That's the one I preach. So when I believe is the answer. And all these other things to me right now are more than distractions. They're destructions. They're causing people who would otherwise be able to say to one another, in Jesus' name, you're my brother, you're my sister. They're now hating on one another because of politics. God, help us if we continue down this path. Because until I see every last person the way Christ sees me, I will always have a problem. But if I see you the way Christ sees me, then it will overcome every problem. That's the way this is going to get solved, church. And so Jesus addresses this issue of worry. One of the greatest leaders at the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association, which anymore you kind of wonder if it's lost its mission parameters, but we'll leave that alone. Dr. George McCallson. He was in charge of the YMCA in Philadelphia for a long time. They were going through a tremendous financial difficulty. They had staff problems. He found himself working 65 to 85 hours a week. He wasn't sleeping. His wife said, either give up the YMCA or I'm leaving. Worry had sunk into the very marrow of his bones. He went to his pastor and his pastor said, you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. If you don't stop worrying, you're going to die from it. And so George grabbed a pad his Bible and a piece of paper and he went out for a walk in the woods and he sat down and he wrote God a letter, a very short letter. And it said, and he kept this letter till the day of his death, Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe, love George. 
he would later remark, and miraculously, God accepted my resignation. Church, we need to remember who is Lord. It's not me. It's not our president. It isn't our Congress. It isn't the World Health Organization. It's not NATO. It isn't the UN. Jesus Christ is Lord. And strangely, the Bible actually says that one day, the whole world will understand that. But we have to present that message. That's the message of the church. That's the only message that can transform lives. Because I'll tell you what, I've figured out in the last six months that I know how to offend absolutely everyone. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how I say it. It doesn't matter to whom I'm speaking. What works for one person doesn't work for another. And, and what is absolute music to someone else's ears might as well be a death chant to the other person. But you know, oddly, when I speak about Jesus, other than offending them with the truth of the gospel, I don't offend their politics. I don't offend any held prejudice they happen to have. It's just the gospel that's an offense. I'm okay with offending everybody with that one. Church, church, why am I calling you the church? Because we're the church. We're not a pack. We are not a political action committee. We are the church of Jesus Christ redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's who we are. That's where we are at our best. That's where we function in society as salt and light. Amen? Salt preserves. Light cures infection. Salt preserves. Light cures infection. If you want to preserve and you want to prevent infection, then be salt and light. And so Jesus speaking about this problem, this real problem, you see, instead of living by faith and faith always being tested, they were starting to live by feelings, by situation. And once you go there, I'm going to tell you something that I've learned in my time on this earth Rarely does it fix anything. If I live by my feelings, if I live by my worries, if I am not living in the light of my eternity in Jesus Christ, then I almost always have the wrong perception of something, if not everything. So what's the real problem in this passage? Let me state it clearly. It's very often simply a lack of faith that we actually trust God to be God. And so instead we insert ourselves into the equation and now we're God. Might be God with little g, but nonetheless we put ourselves in the position that God should have.
The Lord knows what we need in this life to live, doesn't he? Doesn't our passage say that? Your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you do. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. I'm not. Sometimes I don't even know what I need, but I know God does. So the problem that we have doesn't come from the fact that there aren't enough things to go around. Or that God is reticent to give to us the good things. Your Bible says he actually delights to give good things to his children. The problem is our faith is going to be tested. The question becomes, what are you going to do when it is tested? We don't have to hide our head in the sand. We don't have to pretend that there's nothing wrong. But we do need to leave the problem in the hands of the one that can fix it. Instead of snatching all of that worry, the weight of it, and hanging on to it in such a way that it alters our personality, it alters our actions, it causes us to say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do and trust in things that can't supply for the need. And church, for us who believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, That's a lack of faith. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Why? Because your emotions tell you that you should feel that way. Look, life is more than food and drink, this passage says. Amen? I hope most of you know that, because if you think life is 16-ounce ribeyes, or your favorite beer or wine or lobster mac and cheese or Hermes or Gucci or Prada or Armani, if you think it's any of those things, let me tell you, Kirkland is better than most of the rest of the world, okay? So so let's make sure that we understand the difference between needs versus wants. My problem is very often I substitute those two things. And so Jesus here is talking about real needs. That's why I think some of the issues that we face, especially the issues of disparity, social justice, these are issues of equalizing the ability for people to have access to what they need. Jesus is for that. Jesus wants that. Jesus would want us to want that. That makes it very simple. But I can tell you how he will not have us get it. By violence. By harming someone else. So we have to seek things that are fitted for heaven, for the kingdom of God. One of the reasons we have a food bank here that has never closed during this whole pandemic, we have never been out of groceries in this church to give away every single day to anyone and everyone who has need. You know why? Because God cares about the needs of people who don't have food. There's no questionnaire. 
There's no, are you from this neighborhood or that neighborhood? It's, do you have needs? You see, Jesus wants the church to be busy about taking care of God-ordained needs. Not politics. God-ordained needs. Not one of our missionaries, not one of our churches, not one of our orphanages has gone without one cent that they were receiving before the COVID pandemic happened. Not one. Why? Because God cares about the needs of those who have need. We have to understand this concept of needs versus wants. And this is where I believe we often get in trouble. It's where I get in trouble. I can prove that to you. If you've had the opportunity to buy a new car and you go into the showroom, you start looking at the cars, you know why they put all the fully loaded models in the showroom underneath the beautiful lights with the air conditioning and they're not out in the dusty back lot? You know why that is? Because everybody wants the fully loaded model. It appeals to everything. It's got all the excellent trim packages and the wheels and the tires, and everything is awesome. Now, if you have one of those, praise the Lord. But can I tell you, we are blessed in this country in that most of us have any kind of vehicle. I haven't seen anybody come to church yet pushing an ox cart, okay? Now, some of us might. I don't know. But it's needs versus wants. You see, what I want is not necessarily what God promises to give. He promises to take care of my needs. And if we'll focus the right way, then we can help other people also have their needs met. The good shepherd loves to give to that end. I read an article last week as I was studying, and I've seen all kinds of different extrapolations of this data, but the most common conclusion is that the average American could live for a minimum of three weeks, generally a maximum of four weeks, on the food that's in our cupboards. In other words, if we didn't go to the store at all, we could last for someplace between three and six weeks. So when we start talking about needs versus wants, needs are things we need. I think sometimes we start focusing on the wants. It's interesting that Luke uses consider the ravens here as the actual word. Ravens are very, very, very interesting. They're extremely intelligent, by the way. If you've ever read the, the books, All Things Bright and Beautiful, All Things Great and Small, there's a story in there about ravens. Ravens, if you hand-raise them, you, you can feed them. They, they will become pretty much like pets. But strangely, 
God actually programmed them to store up food. So if you hand feed ravens at your house, which I'm not suggesting you should do that. I know at least the ones in Lomita, they come in flocks of like 3,000. So you may have some extra relatives in your backyard for a while. I don't know. But if you feed them, oddly, they will not eat all you give them. They will take part of what you have given them, and they will go store it someplace. They'll put it away for a rainy day. God taught them proper stewardship. And he's taught us proper stewardship. Our problem is that in our quest for wants, we miss the needs, and so now we're trying to store up for our wants instead of our needs. We have to take a good look at this situation. When you look at the examples here, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? Now, I don't know, most of you... I, Love the game of basketball. I'm looking forward to an all-LA NBA Finals for the West. I've hooped a little bit in my day. Played for what would become the Houston Rockets back in the early 70s. Played a little semi-pro basketball myself. But I can tell you this, all of the effort in the world doesn't make you a bit taller. And so what used to be my 6'1 frame now is just a hair under six feet because not only can I not add to my stature, God seems fit to subtract from it. I'm a little shorter than I used to be, and I can tell you I cannot jump like I used to. Worrying about it isn't going to fix it. Do you know the interesting thing? When I go to the basketball hoop, which we have over in Children's Ministry, and I just goof around and I shoot, I can still remember exactly what I need to do. The problem is... The body's saying, nope, we're not doing that. And me, amen. And me worrying about it doesn't change a thing. No matter how badly, I, I still want to go to the hole and, and dunk, which I used to be able to do very easily. I can't go to the hole except a donut hole anymore. I put up a shot, then your three-year-old could block it. And so we get some examples here. One from the world of botany. Consider the lilies. Now Solomon was known for his flamboyant attire. And I don't mean that he was gay or a cross-dresser. I mean that he wore some really amazing clothes. You have to qualify that in our day and time. You know, you, words change in their meaning. So overwhelmed was the Queen of Sheba that she said, you know, I got to go see who this guy is that's dressed like this. You ever driven up through Gorman when the poppies are blooming? There's a reason that people pull over by the tens of thousands just to stare at fields of poppies. Because God saw fit to array the fields in such a way that they boggle our mind. He cares about you. 
And he's done so many things to tell you that he cares about you. Don't be anxious for what you eat or drink or have an anxious mind. Our preoccupation with food in this country. Now, I want to tell you, I, I'm, as, I'm as much wanting to go back to my favorite restaurants as the rest of you. But I can tell you this. I have not noticed I've lost any weight since the COVID pandemic. So somehow, without going to the restaurants, I'm still managing to like, have all those calories go directly south. Why? Because we have more than enough to eat. Doesn't mean you can't love good food occasionally. But some of us love good food a little too often, amen? It's interesting when Luke used this phrase, anxious mind, it's actually a sailing term. It means contrary wind. It means that the mind would be blown around like a contrary wind. In sailing, we use this term for a non-directional wind. It just kind of changes all the time. And if you're out sailing and you have a contrary wind, you really don't know where it's going to come from. It, it might be to your port side one moment, to your starboard the next. It may be from the aft of the boat. It, it may be from the bow. We, we, we don't know. It's just going to move around on you. But here's what a skilled sailor knows how to do. Knows how to leverage that wind no matter where it comes from. That's what it means to not have an anxious mind. In other words, you don't chase the wind, let the wind work for you. In this case, that wind would be the Spirit working in you. If you're willing to let the wind of the Spirit move you, it does not matter which direction the wind is coming from. The Spirit can use it no matter where it comes from. Amen? These principles are so key to our understanding of the world that we live in because if you're always looking for that direct off the starboard bow wind that's exactly 15 to 20 knots, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you don't get to pick the direction of the wind. The wind comes to you. And so God is speaking to us and saying, don't be chasing the wind. It will come to you. Whatever comes to you, you get by with that. You learn how to negotiate that wind. Notice verse 30. God knows exactly what you have need of. In this world, God knows every need of every person. Providentially, God is good. God is good to everyone. He's not just good to Christians. Can I tell you that? God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. Now, he is especially good to his kids. Just like any good father, he knows whom are his, and so he's really good to his kids, but he's still good to everyone. The question is, are we going to be the people that show the world that goodness, or are we going to join in the problem? That's why the church has been called to be separate. That's what being a saint is. It's separate, set apart. 
established by a different set of rules, a paradigm that's so different that the world goes, whatever you have, we want that. But when the church follows the world, then there's nothing for the world to desire in us. And so they're not looking to the eyes of faith. They're not looking for God's provision. They're looking to the same thing that everyone else in the world is looking to, and they will never be satisfied that way. We have to put God first. That's why it says in verse 31, seek first the kingdom of God. Notice what it doesn't say. Seek first a nice house in a great neighborhood. Seek first a great career. And by the way, neither of those two things are bad. They're good, actually. They're wonderful. And you should want a better house. You should want a great job. You should want an awesome career. But if you want it more than the Lord, then your wants have overcome your needs. You have to want first the Lord. His kingdom, his kingdom principles, his kingdom things. You see, that, that's how we establish real value. This may shock you, but you will never know the real value of anything until you know the one who establishes the value. You, you can't know what something's worth unless you know the one who gave it its intrinsic value. A home is something you have to take care of unless the home is filled with the love of Christ. You can have cupboards completely stocked full. They're just a temptation to gluttony unless you know the one who gave you the ability to have those things. And so it's a kingdom heart and a kingdom attitude. It's a kingdom mind that keeps these things in their proper value state. From the point of earth, things have some pretty messed up value, don't they? I just read an article this morning. I, I typically will go through a little bit of the news in the morning to see what's going on in our world. And of course, I came upon some horrible, tragic news. And I was reading this article about marriage. And I'm, always, I'm always concerning myself with understanding why people think the way they do who obviously don't know the Lord. And so this woman who's a therapist is writing on marriage, and she says straight out, we no longer need marriage. Why? Because marriage is now more of a legal contract than it is a love relationship. For most people, it is about the accumulation of possessions instead of the raising of children and the expression of love and friendship. Brothers and sisters, that is not understanding kingdom value. Because if your marriage has been boiled down to a corporate arrangement whereby you are the president and vice president or two vice presidents of some corporation, you come into your house and do your duties, you do not have a marriage in the first place. You have a business. And that's not what God had in mind when he saw Adam's need and said, I'm going to make a completion to you, Adam. Her name is Eve. We have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and his righteousness, and his righteousness, Matthew goes on to say. In other words, the right understanding from God's perspective. Paul knew this. That's why in Philippians 4, and I've listened to some really poor exegesis on this passage, trying to spiritualize it. No, it's actually speaking of the needs that human beings have. Indeed, I have all and abound. That is about things. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent me. That happened to be care for the Apostle Paul. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's because it was done with the right heart. And verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It is incumbent upon the God who is the owner of all things to supply for every need. That's his job. That's his job. And so he distributes the things that are his to people who think like him. Novel idea, amen? If you have a business, we usually call that core values. Maybe a mission statement or a vision statement. Here's the things that we're about. Here's how we go about getting it done. That's why the church is supposed to be a vehicle through which the Lord can pour resources in and then the church pours them out. Not a bigger barn. A place that we can give as is given to us. That's the church's mission statement. In that sense, God's got a rewards program. Now, I don't know how many of you actually have a credit card with the points on it. Has anybody noticed that you collect a lot of points and not a lot of stuff? You you know, you collect, I've got 11,850 points and they're worth four cents. That's because God's reward program is not like that. It isn't points. It's heavenly rewards. It's things that matter eternally. And church, we need to be concerned about what God's concerned about. That's why he says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom has not yet fully come, but it will. Jesus is coming again. And he will establish the fullness of his kingdom. And in the meantime, we are supposed to be showing people little glimpses of that kingdom. The kingdom that's in us right now through our relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to be a visible representation to the world of what that kingdom could possibly be like. That's why John said it this way. Love one another, for God is love. That's why Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. It's an others-centered understanding of our stewardship. God's heavenly reward program basically states, the more you give away, the more God's going to give you. The more you're concerned about other people, because God's concerned about other people, the more God is going to take care of you so that you can take care of them. Very different than the world's view of possessions, isn't it? 
The truth is we're a feeble flock. <laughs> we're a feeble flock. I'm a feeble flock. I'm kind of like the rock badgers there in Proverbs 30. They're, they're, if you travel with us to Israel, we, we see these rock hyraxes, rock badgers. Uh, and they live in the most odd places, like along the side of the road in piles of rocks. I mean, they do not have what you would call one of those existences. It's like, wow, I want to live in a pile of rocks on the side of the road. But they always have what they, they're always fat. They're chubby. They're chunky. They don't die of thirst, even though they live in piles of basalt. They're taken care of. They may be feeble, but they are also faithful. They take what they have and they make the very best of it. Church, we have a Heavenly Father that loves us. He's a fantastic Father. We have a fabulous future ahead of us. Incredible future. The truth is, and I love that phrase, we are highly favored. We're highly favored by God. We're not just kind of, sort of favored. We're highly favored by God. He loves us that much. That's why he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. And so he gives us this final closing thought, and we'll close a simple command. We're supposed to be generous givers, givers of everything, givers of ourselves, givers of our time, of our talent and our treasure. Giving things away, and I'm going to say something right now, and I hope you get it. If you want to understand exactly where you stand in faith, there's a reason that Jesus very often talks of possessions or money. Because a person who has real faith is willing to give away absolutely anything and everything because they trust that if they need it, God will give it right back to them. Being generous is a sign of faith. And so I want to encourage you. What Jesus says here is absolute, spot-on truth. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So if you want to not worry, put your treasure in heaven. Think heavenly. Live heavenly. Speak heavenly. Encourage heavenly things. Lead other people to knowing heaven. Those things are eternal. They never fade. Moth cannot eat them. Rust cannot corrode them. Make sure you're building the right kingdom because building the right kingdom is the way that you can lose the worry in your life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Alex is going to come out and close us in song. But if you're here and you're worried, I want to pray for you right now. If you don't know the Lord, I want to pray for you right now. We have pastors at the exits. Be happy to share with you simple gospel. Don't let worry eat you up.
live lives of faith. Father, we thank you. Lord, I want to pray if there's someone here, if there are many here, and they're worried, they're concerned, they're concerned about their neighborhood, they're concerned about their life, they're concerned about their children. They've been overcome by the enemy with grief or sorrow, the loss of a job or perhaps a health issue, God, and they're just, they're troubled in their spirit. Lord, would you give them extra faith to rest and trust, to walk with you, to know that you are generous and you delight to give good gifts to your kids. And I pray for those that might be thinking these words are so foreign they can't even contemplate them. Lord, would you, by your spirit, speak the truth of the good news of the gospel, that you, Jesus, were the express purpose that you loved us, came to this earth and died on Calvary's cross, pay the price for our sin, that if we would believe in you, you would forgive that sin and change our destination make us suitable for heaven. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. Pray that you would increase our faith today. Make us bold witnesses for you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.